the number you have reached, 911, has been changed to a non-published number. You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. Welcome to another segment of the UCW Radio Show. This is your host, Lou, a.k.a. Falcon Co. Paris. And I want to thank all of our listeners for uh, your continued support by listening to the show. We're uh, bringing a lot of new content into the UCW Radio Show family. Uh, and we have a lot of great guests coming on, telling their great stories, and it's going to be very interesting as the weeks go by, because we have some special announcements to make. In just a little while, we're going to have a great guest on the show. She's an author, she's a mom, and she could be the one that makes or breaks you getting a visa in Australia. She went from the courtroom to the typewriter. She's coming all the way, she's coming to us all the way from down under. She's Suzanne Leal. Uh, she's the next big thing in literature coming uh, out of Australia. But before we bring her on the show, I need to go over a few things. Uh, the Ultimate Body, I've uh, been speaking about it. We are hosting the Ultimate Body radio show, which is directly connected with the reality show. And the Ultimate Body reality show is the first of its kind. It's a bodybuilding reality show. It's never been done before. You've had weight loss shows like The Biggest Loser and, uh, and shows like that. You've had a lot of reality shows, all types of reality shows, but nothing like this has ever been done. And this is coming from the mind of David Lyons. He's an inspirational guy. He's been through some stuff, and honestly, this the Ultimate Body is going to be one of his uh, his greatest feats. I know it. Uh, he's produced uh, Hog Heaven, the biker uh, TV show, and the animated feature Creepers. And he's smart. He brought in someone to help him along the road with the reality show. And if you're doing a reality show, what do you want? You want somebody that's proficient in the reality show business. So that's what he did. He brought in producer Lauren Alvarez. And if you don't know the name, you definitely know the shows. The Osbournes, The Surreal Life. Uh, she's done it all. And uh, that's why the Ultimate Body reality show is going to be something that's going to be season after season after season. And if you are were looking to get on a reality show... Why not the ultimate body? Why not? Get yourself in the best shape of your life. Get all the exposure that you would with any other reality show, if not more, because it's serious and it's real. You're not doing uh, silly things and, uh, and, and, and getting uh, becoming a reality show star because people are following around all day. You're actually doing something to better yourself. Now, the whole... Uh, the whole story with the show is that you have 13 men, 13 women. They're in a mansion. They're getting food, free food, of course, vitamins, training from some of the top trainers in the country, doctors, you know, your chiropractors, medical doctors. Uh, they, they provide you with everything, things that even professionals don't get. Professional bodybuilders don't even get all this stuff, but they're getting it here. And they're all competing for one thing, to be crowned the ultimate body. And whoever wins, well, you have one man and one woman that would win. They get 50 grand apiece, a spread in Muscle Mag International. And the people that are going to be deciding their fate are guest judges, IFBB, uh, Hall of Famer, Rich Kaspari, Marcia Prince, 
great girl. She is an IFBB uh, bikini pro. You have Mr. Mr. Universe, actually the natural Mr. Universe, Doug Burns, another inspirational guy. And the person that's hosting the whole thing is the voice of Mr. Olympia, Bob Cicciarello. And this is all the good stuff that's going on with the Ultimate Body Reality Show. Now here's the bad news. And I've been saying it for the past few days. This is the bad news because you are running out of time. October 17, 2009 from 11 to 6 is your last opportunity to audition for the show. After that, you have to wait till next season. And it's all taking place in Kissimmee, Kissimmee Florida. And my advice, go to the website, download the application, submit everything you need to submit beforehand because you don't want to be one of those people that are out there on a long line not even having to have uh, submitted your application and if you've seen the other reality shows when people are auditioning sometimes the uh, the crowds get crazy as as far as the numbers are concerned then I, this is not going to be any different so you can go to the ultimate body tv show dot com to uh, download the application find out more get some information and see what's going on again that's the ultimate body tv show dot com now another event that we're involved with is a celebrity boxing now uh, this is to support US troops and it's a fantastic cause you have some great people involved uh, you have Chris Gambino Stephen Baldwin these they, they, they are the main event and the whole celebrity boxing event is to support Stephen Baldwin's now more than ever fund so it's to support our troops and this all takes place Wednesday, February 3rd, 2010 at the over 18,000 seat Bank Atlantic Center in Sunrise, Florida. It's going to be a great event. And just recently, Roy Jones Jr., he joined the event. And there are going to be others coming down the pike. And they, these, announcements ha these announcements have not been made as of yet. But they will be. So you have to stay tuned. And the website to get the to keep up with things or to buy your tickets is mycelebrityboxing.com. So go there, check it out, and trust me, you don't want to miss this. And if you get the VIP package, you can actually go to the uh, the after hours event or the after the after um, event party, and it's going to be a star-studded event. And uh, actually, uh, I wouldn't miss it if I was you. Now, before we bring in bring on our uh, our guest, uh, Suzanne Leal, I have to also let everyone know that we've opened the doors for sponsorship uh, partnerships. So advertisers, marketers, anyone that wants to get involved with the UCW radio show, you can do so by giving us a, a call at 323-952-4369. That's 323-952-4369. So uh, you can give us a buzz. And uh, for all our listeners out there, if you want to connect with us, we want you to be a part of the show. You can actually uh, send me your tweets. If you're on Twitter, then you can shoot me out your questions or comments for our guests. You can go online, go to ucwmagazine.com, and, and you can see who we're going to have on the show. And if you want to get involved, that's one way to do so. My Twitter name is Luis Velasquez. That's L-O-U-I-S-V-E-L-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z. -E -E so follow me and tweet away. Now, without further ado, she's been on hold for a little while. Let's patch in. Author, coming to us all the way from down under, Suzanne Leal. 
Suzanne, it's great to have you on the UCW radio show. I really want to thank you uh, for being with us on the show. And for you, it's morning time, so thank you. It is morning time. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Lou. You're welcome. Yeah, it's, it's Wednesday morning, so you're way, way ahead. Uh, because well, yeah, we're always ahead. <laughs> yeah, because... A little bit ahead. Yeah, exactly. Well, just yeah, I know that we have a lot of exciting things to talk about today uh, with, your, with your book and everything. But what I want to first do is give our listeners some broad strokes on you, so they can connect a little bit. Uh, and the reason I said it's Wednesday because you're coming to us all the way from Australia, and you're not only an author but at times you're a speaker. So, and right now you have a your latest novel is Border Street, which we're going to get into later. Uh, so before we get into your novel and Border Street. Uh, and, and all of that. What I want to do is start at the beginning and, and find out more about you because I think you know the it's important to find out about the person behind the novel. So if you can just let us know more about you, that'd be great. Okay. Well, I, I live in Sydney, um, which people will be familiar with, so it's on the east coast of Australia. I was born further north in Brisbane, which is which is much warmer. And I'm the child of two academics. My father was a um, head of a university in his last job, and my mother's a teacher. I've um, got one younger brother who's actually almost one of you now. He's married to a, a model who's based in Dallas. Oh, check out your brother. All right. Cool, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought it was joking when he, when he, when he emailed. He said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm seeing this model in America. Yeah, yeah, David. <laughs> and he, um, he, he's um, an engineer and he's been in Dallas, well, on and off for, for a number of years now. Oh, I wonder if he's going um, out with a Dallas been... Cowboy cheerleader. That can be, a, that can be something. <laughs> that could be something. Oh, actually, what I do have, now my latest contact is a bloke who uh, works for, or who, who plays with the Mavericks, who are apparently a big basketball team. Oh, know. yeah, yeah, Dallas Mavericks. But, uh, but it's, it's a friend of a friend, so it's not, not such a close connection. <laughs> that's still a connection. Oh, it's, it's, it's something that's there. A connection is a connection. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. But I cut you off, and I was, that was rude, but that's how this show goes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not, not at all rude. So, so, um, so I, I, moved to, I moved down south of Sydney, which is in, in a largish town called Wollongong where I went to school mm -hmm. and then came up to Sydney for uni um, and at university I studied French and German and law. Um, language has always been my thing. I, I was educated partly in France and Germany. Oh really? That's and, interesting. Um, you, 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 yeah, look, look it has, my, my dad's a French academic or, or oh. was before he retired. So um, I grew up in uh, no, south of France, a bit, a little bit in Paris oh. and went Ooh. to school there. Ooh la la. Which, um, which I think, yeah, yeah, ooh la la. Gives you, gives you a different perspective on things, I think. And then I studied in Germany um, at school, later school, and in university. Okay. So I've always been, I've always been taken by travelling, and I've always been taken by living elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, which, yeah, which, which, which is, I think, sets you up for for interesting things and an interesting way of looking at people. I've always been fascinated by people with more than one language. I mean, it opens your mind uh, to different things, I, I believe. I think so. I think people just take slightly different angles on things. So sure. I'm, when I finished uni, I did languages. I, so I was interested in languages, but also did law. Mm -hmm. I think more because people were impressed than anything else. And oh, wow. um, but, but laws are really good way to get into people's heads. Right. I did criminal law for quite a few years. Uh -oh. So I practiced um, in defense work. 
That's like CSI moment. stuff. <laughs> except, except sort of bar bargain basement, because we did, we did legal aid work, which mm -hmm. I think is the more interesting work. So, you know, you work, essentially you're paid by the government, and I don't know what your scheme is. I think you have a legal aid scheme. Yeah, well. same thing. You, know, you get in yeah. trouble, you get a legal aid, it gets, you, they get paid by the government, and you hope yeah, to get yeah. good representation. So. <laughs> and look, I think you do. I think particularly, um, I, I worked in crime, but... Um, you get the more interesting cases. People are generally in jail. Uh, the cases are quite serious. And you get an enormous experience, an enormous insight into what's going on for people, Okay. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see that. I can see that being the case because you're dealing with, uh, again, you have a whole wide array of, of different people, and I'm sure that are put in front of you when you're doing that. And people that I wouldn't have necessarily come across. I mean, I always feel quite privileged to have access to people that I wouldn't normally get to in my, in my real life. Now, now I work in migration refugee mm. issues. I, I've got a, a judging sort of role. So I'm a decision maker on a review tribunal. Okay. And um, the applicants that I that come across that I come across are often seeking asylum or seeking to become refugees or migrants to Australia, oh, wow. and and you get some you get some fundamentally interesting people, some mm -hmm. very uh, very strong people. Often when they've come a long way through difficult times, mm -hmm. the strength they get is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, well that, that's so. interesting. And you do when uh, doing the legal aid thing, you do come across people you normally wouldn't come across because really, how, <laughs> how many people are going to come across an axe murder in their 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 uh, work? Not too many. <laughs> Well, I, I think I'm, murder I'm, I'm is joking particularly with you. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear you, you got me on my, my pet topic. I think murder is a particularly interesting crime because it's quite close. I mean, the, the difference between going ahead with something and holding yourself back can mm -hmm. be very minimal. So yeah. I, I'm always fascinated by murder. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, no, I, I guess if you look at it, yeah, it becomes a self-control issue because when you, when you're in the heat of the moment. You know, uh, some people go that one that one step further, and some people are able to uh, to uh, restrain themselves. I think that's that's the case, and I've been in front of people, and I've thought on, on several occasions, you know what, I'm on this side and you're on that side, but in different circumstances, a different education, a different day, it could have been reversed. Yeah. And that's what fascinates me about those self-control crimes, rather than something like armed robbery, which is often premeditated, sure. often murder isn't, and, and I, I've always felt lucky, I suppose, to be on that side, mm -hmm. but mindful that it's sometimes not that far. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a crime of passion, and, and most, I mean, even though it, it may be not be a love thing, but there's a lot of, when, when, you, when you, to go, to get to that point, I'm not talking about a serial killer or anything, but just, you know, uh, it's a one -off. yeah, just, yeah, just someone that, you know, Goes that extra, uh, that extra, that extra mile to yeah. to, to to go and uh, actually uh, murder someone. Um, yeah, it, it's it's different than being a serial serial killer, but uh, something has to snap in you, and uh, some people can restrain themselves, some people can't. But it's still there's still some passion there, if that makes sense. I think sense. that's right. Yeah, and I think the writer in me too finds that fascinating. Just finds it fascinating as to how you get inside someone's head and I think as a, when I was doing crime more than what I'm doing now you have to go into the jails quickly you get the instructions you can you have to ha get to a situation where people trust you quickly because you often don't have a lot of time mm -hmm. you get everything that you need 
and then you get out. So mm. it's it's an odd way to meet people. It's an odd way to to function. But I think it's um it's very rewarding in a lot of ways. I mean, as long as you you believe in yourself and you actually you know care about what you do, then you're okay. Some sometimes I think that you know when you're when you're in the legal aid part of it, you know, the workload gets so big that it's hard for you to really care about it every everything. That's why sometimes they depict you know, legal aid, uh, you know, well, lawyers as um, uh, just indifferent. They just go through the motion and, and the next person, but you don't do that. Look, I, th I think that can be the perception. My experience is, in Australia particularly, the best crime you're going to get is legal aid, because generally people who commit crimes that are legally the most interesting or the most fascinating don't have money, right. and they're the ones you get. So if you want to do really high-level crime, that's where you're going to do it. And we have, um, we have a system called the public defender system where you have barristers, so people who advocate more before the courts. Are, um, are briefed by private solicitors and also legal aid, mm -hmm. and and they get they're, they're really top notch and they get really interesting cases. And I think too, given that it's difficult to get into law, it has become an area that's hard to get into because people realise how interesting the work is, mm -hmm. and you've got to be someone who's not doing law for the money. So that's a given. Oh, but yeah, if you're no, doing it for the money, you, you go elsewhere. Yeah, you go. And you don't go to crime. I think that, that's <laughs> Yeah, you go into corporate <laughs> law or something. <laughs> yeah, you go into corporate law. Which I must say, I, I could never understand. I, I don't, it's just not me, I don't think. Well, you, you look more for the action because you're looking for the truth. You know. I think there are story lawyers and puzzle lawyers. Mm -hmm. I think I'm more a story lawyer. Oh, okay. Well, you go, I mean, I think, you know, when you're, when you're uh, representing some, you know, someone that does a horrible crime, I mean, it's more difficult for you to defend them, but it allows you to use all the skills, all your, your, your compassion, to your common sense, to your storytelling abilities, everything else, in order to give them the best representation, as well as your knowledge of the law. So there are a lot of components there that normally, I guess, for someone that does corporate law or or is a high-end attorney, they probably don't have the opportunity to defend such cases. No, I think that's right. And I mm. think there's also got to be a fundamental belief that it's important to defend the individual against the state. Right. Uh, in the end, how, whatever an individual's done, you've got to keep a check on the state. You've got to make sure that, uh, that there is sufficient defence against a really big mechanism of the state. Now, I think it's important to have prosecutions and police services, but it's also important to make sure the individual has somewhere to go in terms of representation. So yeah. I think that, I think that um, really, progress, I think that is fundamental for most defence lawyers. Yeah, well, I mean, you have, you have a whole system of checks and balances, you know, and, yeah. and the way uh, you keep everything in check is by have, giving the defendant the best possible representation they can get. And, if, you know, on your end, you're doing the best that you can do, which, you know, you're uh, apparently, you know, um, in, in Australia, if uh, they want to get the best representation, you know, it's better to go with a legal aid than with a high price attorney. <laughs> That, that, that might be my agenda, of course. Yeah, <laughs> there's always an agenda, yeah. <laughs> and there's some excellent private lawyers as well. But um, but look, at my time there was was, was a fantastic time. I still look back at, on it really fondly. Right, but you had some great experiences. You you uh, I'm sure you were part of uh, a lot of interesting cases during your time. Oh, very much so. Yeah, just just, just stuff you wouldn't believe, and 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 you get to work in it, and you get to be paid for it. Yeah.
and you get to learn, and then you get to write books. And you do. <laughs> That's true. And you get through all your experiences. So now, so you went from from that, okay, yeah. and then, you know, you, are you still doing that now? No, so I, I, I left that a few yeah. years ago. What I was, um, I was starting to write a few years ago, and I applied for a job which is uh, with the Migration and Refugee Review Tribunal. Mm -hmm. Now, how that works is, is if, for example, you you want to come to Australia, Lou, and you want to, I don't know, you've, you've met you've met a woman in Australia, or I don't know what your situation is, and you want to get married, mm -hmm. and the immigration department says that you're not entitled to a visa because perhaps the relationship's not genuine. Oh. You can then seek a review from my tribunal, and mm -hmm. you might come before me. Oh, okay. And I hear your story again, and I make a decision oh. that I think's the correct Ooh. and preferable one. You so have that's power. That's power. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Look, you do, you, you do have some power. You I mean, do. it's interesting because it, in, in legal aid, really, I sort of found myself coming up against judges. And now, although I'm not a judge, I'm a tribunal member, I make the decision. Mm -hmm. And I'm comfortable there because I think that if I were applicants before me, I would feel that I've been treated fairly. Right. And I think in the end that's the main thing. Of course, you want to have a, you want to have a fair trial. You know, you, you have yeah, to yeah. you have to have that because without that the, the legal system is uh, is imbalanced. And I I think that's well, I I really strive to do that in every case and I strive to to um be really sure as to what I'm doing to make sure the parties are heard to make sure uh the applicant feels as though they've had their day. I think you can't even if you're not able to give a decision that is um, something the applicant wants, I think it's important for the applicant to know they've been heard and they've had the chance to be heard. Yeah, well, I mean that—that's yeah. your right. I mean that—that's what's that's written in law that you need—you have to have the ability to be represented properly, so at least your case, your your, your side of the story is heard, and then you can, you have a chance to defend yourself. Because without doing yeah, that, exactly. then again, as I said, the legal system would be imbalanced. Exactly, exactly. So that's uh, it's a good place to be, and it's a part-time position which gives me enough time to write as well. Yeah, so, so it's, um, but you went you went from from doing law, and then yeah. you you're doing the tribunal, which now yeah. you become the ultimate power. That if I wanted to go over there, <laughs> you 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 could sit there and tell me no. But you know what? It's good to know that because if I wanted to go over there, and I needed a visa, hey, Suzanne. <laughs> and yeah, they need your but help. Of course, I'm an, I'm an independent decision maker. So yeah, okay. independently get me in. So you, 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 and, you, and since, <laughs> we know, since we know each other, then then you wouldn't get me. Oh, but there you go. Well, we won't we won't let anybody know that. Just hush hush. Nobody. It sounds will, like you're doing well where you are, anyway. Nobody will listen to this show. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but that, that's pretty interesting. So you go from that, and now you you've become a writer. You that's know? right. I mean what. Now I know your your parents are are um, are uh, scholars and everything, um, and you have a um, I guess uh, your 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 education is a little on the the, the I, I don't know what word I want to use here, but you, it's um, it's in interesting because you've traveled and you've you yeah. you said you went to Germany, you went here, and you learned different languages, so you have a rich, not monetarily rich. But a rich uh, edu education, which is good because you're well-rounded. But, but you went into writing. What possessed you from le to leave law, which can make you mugu bucks, 
<laughs> to to actually start writing. That's what I want to know. I'm a lousy businesswoman. Um, <laughs> look, the, the writing, the writing. I think my, my my personal thesis is that most lawyers are either frustrated writers or frustrated actors, oh. and they go into law because it's risk free. Uh, as you say, you can make a million dollars if you really want to, right. and you get to be slightly creative, but in a way that doesn't mean you have to put you out, yourself out there too far. Hmm. So I, I know a lot of people that really should have been musicians or really should have been actors, but what they do is they act or they perform as lawyers instead. Hmm. And I'm probably one of those. I'm probably one of those people who always wanted to be more creative, hmm. uh, but I'm sensible. So I did the sensible option. That, that's interesting, I, though. That, that's interesting how you put that because, you know, beyond you know knowing law, yeah. I mean, I guess when you get in front of a jury, you have to, you have to know how to work it. And here, as as I think where you are as well, in America, uh, barristers dress up. Mm -hmm. so they have robes and they have wigs on, and they have um, the, the jabot, a little bit in the middle. So so really, it's it's it's, it's very much acting. It's very much like a theatre performance. So yeah, so maybe, maybe some people that always want to dress up uh, like that or dress up like a woman, they can go do that as well. You can do. There you go. No, it's, it's always been my thesis. There are a lot of actors in the legal profession, but um, I, I started writing young. I started writing at school. I, I always enjoyed writing much more than maths, and, and I was lousy at science. And. Then I studied literature at uni, so I did French and German literature, mm -hmm. which I think was probably good in terms of understanding literature, but it was pretty bad for my creative impulses. Okay. I think I thought, if I'm to study all these really well-known authors and I'm to criticise how they've written and where they went wrong, I mean, what chance have I got? <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> so I, I really think that it... Um, <laughs> It pulled me back for a couple of years. I just thought, well, why bother? I mean, they they, they didn't do it properly, according to our criticism. <laughs> so, um, so what have I got to give? So, but, uh, but I think it. So it took a while after uni for me to get back to writing, mm -hmm. and I, I, I started. I think I was just, you know, I was just getting a bit older. I was supposed to be this child genius, which hadn't really materialised. <laughs> so I thought I'd better go and write a book, and. Um, by that stage, I was living in Bronte, which is a, which is a, or Tamarama even, which is a beautiful part of Sydney. It's just on the beach, and you might be familiar with Bondi Beach. So you just walk down the south to Bondi Beach, okay. past Bondi Beach to Tamarama, and it used to be an area where people didn't want to live in Australia because uh, the houses were small and the yards were small, and the, mm -hmm. the Australian dream was for a large block. Right. So a lot of people who had arrived as refugees or migrants perhaps in the 50s or the 60s had gravitated towards Bondi or Tamarama and I moved into a duplex with a Czech Jewish couple mm -hmm. who uh, were elderly by that stage, they were in their 70s and I was living in the front of the house and they were living in the back of the house mm -hmm. and we just became friends, you know when you just click with someone yeah. uh, and as I got talking to Fred, who was, who was the landlord, he, he was a clever man. He, he's died now, but he's a really, really clever man. He spoke a number of languages. He had one of those brains that doesn't let you get away with stupidity. You know, you know, okay. you know most times in your life you can bluff your way through anything. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I can't. 
And you were yeah, you were in, in, in would... you were in law. Oh my god. <laughs> well, maybe we maybe we're trained to do it. Yeah. But he wouldn't let you get away with things. You, you had to think about what you you were saying. And we started talking about him and uh, he'd been through the Holocaust uh, starting in Prague. Oh, wow. And not only that, he had a he had a photographic memory which which is unusual. And he agreed for me to interview him. So I just sat down with him and I thought, look, he was getting old and I thought sometimes opportunities come your way that you have to grab. Sure. And you don't know what you'll do with them. You just have to do it and you have to get it before it goes. Right. And so we spent a year uh, interviewing about his story. And he's fascinating because he was fascinating. He's, he's very tall, he's very blonde, he's very blue-eyed. And he was Jewish and he didn't... Uh, identify with being Jewish, and he was hauled up in the Holocaust and um, and taken off to the ghetto. Hmm. And I don't think the story about Holocaust survivors or the Holocaust generally has been told very frequently in relation to Czechoslovakia or oh. the now Czech Republic. Okay. I think we hear a lot about Poland and a lot about Germany. But I don't think we've heard very much about Czechoslovakia, okay. and so that was the story that he gave me. Well, the, the, and yeah, that that's I mean, I have some friends that are from Czechoslovakia, so that that is interesting. Yeah, I, I just think it was a very different country, and that the way the war came to uh, Czechoslovakia was quite different. And I think the history of integration in the country was very different. I mean, it was a very cosmopolitan, very integrated city, particularly in Prague. Mm -hmm. And then this all came, and it's it's a really interesting story, and I, I I suppose it was given to me. I think when you're given something like that of such momentous importance, then you need to do something with it. So so he gave it to me. I mean, he gave me a lot of things, my friend, but he gave me a story, which has been the most important. I think. Yeah, I mean, a story like that, you know, which that's a, that's the that that's a story that you normally, I mean, you hear a lot of, as you said, a lot of Holocaust stories. But uh, to hear one about Czechoslovakia, no, I, I haven't uh, heard of any. No, that's what I thought. And like the second thing was, I think we read a lot of stories too where things are very polarized. polarized. So you've got a very, um, you've got a very good person who becomes a victim in a very bad time. Mm -hmm. And Fred was a little bit more complex than that. He was a bit annoying, a little bit obnoxious, a little bit difficult. And I found that interesting too. And, and I think when I started to interview him, I was looking for that essential goodness that you need to have when you're a victim. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really find it. I mean, I, I think he was a he was a survivor. He's a very fascinating person, but he's he's a flawed character. I mean, mm -hmm. as we all are. But um, he was his flaws were quite, were quite obvious, and he because he was so honest mm -hmm. and, and spoke to me with such candor. And it got me thinking that I think sometimes, particularly when we're talking about momentous occasions like the Holocaust, we expect people who go through extraordinary times to be extraordinary people for that very reason. Mm -hmm. And when it's all over, I think sometimes we can continue to expect them to be extraordinary and perhaps they're simply ordinary people who have lived through a difficult time yeah. and want to go back to an ordinary life. Yeah. So that's really what I wanted to explore. And, I, and in Australia, there's a lot of uh, survivors uh, who live around the Bondi area. And I wanted to look at what happens when someone gets older. So when they start to retire, what happens to the memories? What happens to the sense of purpose? 
Mm-hmm. So, um, well, that's, you know, a, that's, that's, a, that's, that's interesting. Right I mean, before people started going senile, yes. You know, cause well, <laughs> and that was, and that was the, that was the luck of it all. I hadn't realised at the time just how close I was to missing these stories because I mean, I, the book was published a couple of years ago, and he then did uh, succumb to dementia, as did his wife, so and they died about a year ago. Wow! And you and know, that's yeah, a horrible and, and then, thing. That's a horrible thing to go through. It, 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 I think it's horrible in the early stages for the person who's suffering from it, and I think in the later stages it's horrible for the family. No doubt about for him, it. He, he became, look, he became just lovely. I don't, I think towards the end it was actually not a good thing for him, but it wasn't an awful thing anymore mm-hmm. because he, he became much more settled, he became much less agitated. But um, but you wouldn't want it, would you? You wouldn't put your name down for no, it. No, no, but I mean with, with what he went through, and yeah, you know, he went through the Holocaust and he went through that. But at the end of the day, he was human like all of us. And he, and, and you're right, he was just a person that, that went through a rough time. And he went through exactly. that. And, and, he, and he survived it. And I think, you know, just, just to touch on that, that when uh, to, 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 to let all those memories disappear and he doesn't remember all of that, yeah, I can see him yeah. being settled. I can see him being settled because now you don't remember all the pain. You don't remember all the struggle, everything you went through. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm here, you know? And I think part, it was funny because after we'd interviewed and after the book came out, he started to go downhill. And, I, and I'm wondering whether that's coincidental or whether he needed to get it out. He mm. needed to talk about it. He needed to see the book out. Maybe. And then he could just let go of it. I, I, I don't know. Aging's, aging's a tricky thing. I don't know how much. But you never know what what can trigger something in someone. That's true. Okay, but with with the elderly, you know, taking a a spill, taking a fall, could could their health starts to spiral out of control. It can be anything because we're talking about your mind. So maybe that, you know, he maybe you're right. Maybe he needed to let that out and get it out, and then all of a sudden he was like, okay, yeah. Was like I I, I thought. liken it to a cupboard being opened. You know when a cupboard's been kept closed for a very long time? Yeah. You open it up and all this stuff spills out and you've got no idea how the cupboard possibly contained it. Yeah. And you couldn't possibly get it back again. So it was mm-hmm. this sort of this sort of waterfall of, of information that came to you. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's interesting. But, you know, him um, just unleashing on you all this information, you know, led you to, to write Border Street. Yes, yes, which, which, which is a wonderful legacy to have for them. Sure. I think, yeah, or from them. Well, you're telling a story, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a novel, but you're telling a story which is based on facts. Yes, that's right. Okay, so it becomes even more interesting, even though, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you probably uh, changed the names in, in the book. But um, still, it's based on facts. Yeah, look, it, it, it's interesting when when you write that 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 faction, that sort of it's it's a fiction based on facts. Faction, I, I like that uh, faction. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna faction. Go, yeah, I don't I'm gonna remember that one. <laughs> two two things you brought to my attention, and two things <laughs> I'm gonna use. <laughs> Good. Okay, faction. That can be faction. a new buzzword. Here we go. Suzanne told me faction. Um, faction. <laughs> I'm sure I read it in the review. Um, I think it's interesting because 
what I had, I, I had all this documentation from him in terms of Prague in the well, 30s and 40s. And what I did with that is overlaid a present story. So the story is really, uh, the present story is about uh, two neighbours, so a younger Australian woman and the older Czech Australian man, okay. and it's their interaction. And underlying that are the interviews that take place. So in fact, I, I, I reproduced what happened, but in a different setting. So we'd interviewed in a really awful building um, up the road, Mm-hmm. which has cheap coffee, and in the book it takes place by the beach. Yeah. And I think the, the, the joy of fiction as opposed to fact is that you can use scenes to progress what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. So the beach and the water takes on its own importance. Sure. And, Cause, cause something and like timing. that. Something like that, I mean, if you, when you're writing the book and you're, as people, when people read, they imagine. So that yes. your imagination, you're, you're picturing what's happening. So he yeah, beach the water, and him telling the story, it, 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 I guess it provides a very dramatic scenery. I think so. And I think, look, I don't know if it's just me, or that, but the water, and because I live near the water, the water's always been extremely important to me in my writing. Right. It, it does so much. I mean, it changes color, it changes form, it changes strength, it's mm-hmm. dangerous, and it's a recreational activity. It's everything you want it to be. So it's um, it, it's quite an important device to have, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 it's, yeah, so it's always been particularly important. And I suspect probably because I run a lot and I run along the water, and so it's always in your psyche. I'm jealous. But I think this fact. I'm jealous. Sorry. I'm jealous. Are <laughs> you? Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, I must say it's a nice day today. <laughs> it's although we did have a, a really big dust storm on Wednesday where everything just turned red and I thought, I thought, I thought I'd woken up and I died. You know, you know mm. the, the, all the sky was orange. I thought it was an really? Armageddon. Oh, wow. <laughs> but that, it was just a dust, <laughs> just a dust storm. <laughs> I must say, it's all back to blue today. Oh, that's good. At least you get the sun coming in again. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. How's it your way? Uh, well, it's in the 60s, because right now I'm in uh, New York right this moment. So it's 60, a little cool out, waiting for it to hit that 20-degree uh, weather. So. <laughs> okay. But New York's a place to be, though, isn't it? Yeah, New York is, is an interesting town, you know, no doubt about it. I love California as well, so, you know, uh, you know I bounce back and forth, which is uh, which is pretty good. You know, so, yeah, I, you know, you California, you have beautiful weather all the time. Yeah, of course you do. But at night it gets chilly, you know. But <laughs> now let's let's talk about Border Street here, because I mean that that uh, setting that you, you know, on the beach, the water, and everything that you set uh, you set the scene for the book. Now, I mean, when you have because a lot of you have a lot of books that sometimes turn into movies. You have a screenwriter that comes in and is able to transform your novel into an actual screenplay for a yes. movie. So, you know, I'm thinking with what you've, you know, the novel that you have and, and the whole story behind it, I think that can easily be transformed into a, a screenplay for a movie. Fantastic idea, Liz. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think so because, you know what, I mean, it's interesting because, as you said, how many stories, because this is, you know, faction, as you call it, and uh, is based on someone's life 
kind of, you know, it's based on their life, and but you, you change the scenery, you change the players, but the, but the core of it is still what was told to you. No, I think it is quite filmic. I mean, there's been, been, been sort of some, some slight interest early on in terms of filming. Uh, I think it's a difficult time for film work. Having said that, actually, a friend took it over to the the book over to the Toronto Film Festival the other day, but um, oh, really? <laughs> I don't know if she left it left it any, any in any way any important pocket. Oh, a friend of mine. Well, that's that's kind of interesting. Film. I have some people. Uh, wow, I don't know. I think next week I have some people from the Toronto Film Festival. The um, I guess the people that do, I think they 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 organize organize it or something that uh, I think they're coming on the show. Oh, terrific! Actually, there's a um, a friend of mine's just releasing a film about his life, which is called Mao's Last Dancer. Okay. His name's Li Xunxin, and he's a he's a dancer. He he was a dancer with um in Dallas and also in Beijing, and uh, that film's being released at the end of this month, and it's beautiful. So I've seen an advanced screening. Beautiful film. Oh, but, um, great! And it's about his life. Yeah, it's about his life. Fascinating life because he he was a peasant. Uh, from a peasant family in China, plucked at school by the Beijing Dancing Academy, became trained to be a dancer, mm-hmm. and then went to America, to Dallas, and defected from China while he was in Dallas, and became a great dancer there, and then oh. moved to Australia where he danced here. Oh. And he's, uh, he wrote this book a number of years ago, which has just been made into a film by Bruce oh. Beresford. Oh, so, um, anyway, look out for that one. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, actually, we should talk to him. But that's interesting. Yeah, you should talk to him. We should talk <laughs> to him. You know, since you're, since you're talking about him, why not? Yeah, it sounds interesting enough. Why not? Mm, please send him. He's terrific. Yeah, but you know, we need to talk about you. That's what we need yeah, we to do. do. We, we do, need don't to. we, Lou? We talk about too many other people. We got to talk about you. So, so, so you have Border Street that's out. You know, again, the, the whole premise of the book and, and the whole scenery and everything, I can see this. You know, turning into a, a film in a heartbeat, even if it's you have an independent uh, uh, filmmaker that's looking to do it. You know, independent films now are getting more play than uh, a lot that's of the big true. productions. Yeah, you know, because yeah, people are tired of the the big, you know, multi-million dollar, hundred million dollar movie uh, situations. That they, they want to see, you know, something better. And you have a lot of indie directors and producers that are coming out. With you know, like with, like with a novel like Border Street, and they're taking it and turning it to a, to a movie where you may have a Universal that would never look at Border Street. That's true. Well, I mean, let's let, let's fingers crossed. It would be a wonderful thing if it happened. Yeah, it, w- it would definitely be wonderful. But I think that what happens, and the reason that that I you know I, I would think that you would be better going the independent route, is because you're not going to lose the essence of the novel. Where if you go straight Hollywood, big production studio, you know, you have all these writers and the team, they're ripping it apart. Then all of a sudden, you know, your 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 novel, Border Street, becomes Backward Street. And all of a sudden, it, it, it is not, it's not what you wrote. That's true. And I suppose the decision has to be made, doesn't it, with, um, with films from books as to how much control you retain. Right. Well, I mean, I know some, some friends of mine who had films made of their books have decided to have no involvement at all right. so they just give it over and the book was theirs the film is someone else's and they and they have no interaction now i, I wonder whether i'd be able to leave it as easily as that well yeah that, 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 that's a million dollar question 
Well, it is. You know, how 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 far do you let your baby fly without you? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but this, this see, your your book is again, it's uh, your novel is different than if someone just you know wrote uh, a novel based on things. You know, I mean, people write great novels. Don't get me wrong, but this is, as you said, is a faction type of novel. So there, there are a lot more elements in there that you want this story to be told. And, and look, I do think the interest in the wartime stories doesn't really waver. I mean, we have a lot of stories that come out, but they're, I think they always capture people's imagination. And I think the other thing with, with uh, Czechoslovakia, as it was, is right on the back of the war, there came communism. So, mm. so you've got people who have been oppressed, during the war, and then you get communism as well. And of course, uh, Fred and Eva were victims of a communist regime as well. So, mm. so I, I think it's a particularly interesting country and a particularly interesting time, sort of spanning from the war right really to, through to the 60s. It's like, you know, slapped once and slapped again. Well, exactly. Um. I remember that Fred told me once that he was in the 60s, so he didn't get out of um, Prague till 68. But it was in the early 60s, and he'd gone for a holiday on the border, because of course he couldn't leave, it was very difficult to leave mm -hmm. uh, Czechoslovakia. And he saw these clouds, he saw these clouds up ahead of him, and they were just moving slowly across the border into Germany. And he said, Germany wasn't it, Austria even? And he said he felt the most immense frustration that the clouds could go across the border, but he couldn't. Mm. Always stayed with me whenever I see clouds. I think, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine the frustration of not being able to go where you want to go? And it's so close, so you, close you can watch the flat clouds yeah. drifting over. Yeah, because it's like you're, you're prevented from being free. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, for, and for a man of such potential and such intelligence and such impatience, can you imagine? It'd be, it'd be like being a caged animal. And I think he was mm. often like that. He would often pace like a caged animal because... So much of his life had been, uh, he'd been trapped. And just imagine if he would have got out in the 60s, what, what, mm. what, well, had, what would he have become if he came to the U.S. Uh, at that point? Well, in the 40s even. I mean, mm -hmm. after, the, after the war finished, he had an opportunity to go to England as it was because he owned a paint, a paint factory. They were quite wealthy. And they had connections in England, and they said, "Look, come over to England." But of course, he wanted to—he wanted to restart his own factory, and they were quite traumatized, and they just wanted to start again. But of course, in '48, it all closed up, right. so he lost that opportunity. And in fact, in the '60s, that they left. So in '68, they left, and they came to Australia, leaving everything. Mm. But they could have done it in '48, and I think he spent a lot of his life regretting the decision he made. And that, or regretting you know, not having taken that decision. And you know something that's probably the worst thing to have as you get older is, is our regrets. Right. It, and it, I wonder how you get over that. I mean, I I, I think creative impulses like the writing or music mm -hmm. or acting perhaps they work well for that as well because you can put something on paper whether it's in lyrics or whether it's in prose. Mm -hmm. I think you can get over a lot of that. I think you can work through things that otherwise will stay with you. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I wonder whether for him just talking went some way towards that. If, but, um, if, if, but yeah, he'd regret everything. You know, regret any decision he took. So a financial decision that went wrong would stay with him for years. And I don't know what the secret is for people who manage to let that go. Well, you know, you know something. You know, one thing that I've realized is that, again, as you get older, 
you know, when you're younger, you, you can take risk and you can do things and you can take opportunities as they come. When you don't take those opportunities as you get older and you see someone that did, that right there is the killer because now someone did something that you were afraid to do and they became very successful and you're still where you are. That's a hard pill to swallow. That's true. But I think, I, I think that's right, but I think the other issue too is that if you're in, a, in an area where there's no age issue, I mean, writing's fantastic for that because it doesn't matter how old you are, you can always start again. Yeah. Writing doesn't discriminate so much. In fact, right. it does in the circuits. But uh, it really is something where it's never too late. And in fact, the more you experience and the more, the more you muck, muck up on the way, mm-hmm. the more fodder there is to write. Sure. I think. But, but yeah, no, just, it is a killer when, when you see kids doing stuff. You think, if I had, had that confidence. You know, you know who I, who I admire? I admire that, Nicole Kidman. Okay. Because she, she grew up you know, in, in Sydney as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought if I had had such drive as she did at such a young age, Imagine, imagine having the confidence at 18 that that probably I have now. Right. And she had it. And I wonder what what makes that what makes a person so ambitious and so focused at such an early age. I mean, that, that, that's what I admire. I think. I think that's something that has to be inside of you. You, you. Something has to click inside of you for you to have that drive. Either it's coming. I mean, you you can be guided by your parents, but it's something mm-hmm. inside of you. Because you can only be pushed so far. Yeah, look, maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe that's right. I, I do think parental stuff has a lot to do with it. I've, I've got kids, and um, my eldest child's just started a band, and he's 12. And oh, oh, noise. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's the funniest thing. They've just got this new song called Toe to Toe. But and I don't know if it's the firstborn thing or the fact that the household makes it open for him to be able to do that or mm-hmm. the school he's going to, or is it a new generation? I don't know. Well, you know, I think that, you know, as, you know, when you're a parent and you have kids, you know, you want them to to understand that they can achieve anything in life and you have to support that. If they feel less supportive, they have it in them to go that extra mile, then they'll do it. If they don't have that support in the household, even if they have the support elsewhere, it becomes a battle because now, I mean, they come home, they're like, okay, you know, maybe I shouldn't do it. And then they start questioning themselves as opposed to saying, you know what, can't hurt, let's give it a shot. And, I mean, that's how you're raising your kids. I, I think that give it a shot is the way to go. And I think my, my, new, my new philosophy for the last month has been as long as you're nudging forward, things are going alright. That's Just it. Just nudging forward. Yeah. Just a little bit. I think that's probably good enough. Yeah, sure. And then, you know, you know, sooner or later, that nudge forward is going to turn out to be a mile leap and things will happen. You, know, you, have, to, you have to be able to, to roll the dice. If you can't roll the dice in life, then what are you doing? You're not living. I think that's right. And I think that's, this is a generalization, but I think that in Australia we learn that from Americans particularly because I think the reputation that people in the U.S. have is of giving things a shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's, you know, anyone can be president sort of mentality that, that we've got this more tall poppy syndrome where, you know, you don't want to get too big in case you get cut down. Whereas the way that we see America is that it's been... It really is seen to be that land of opportunity, and people mm-hmm. seem to have the confidence. And again, I'm generalising to to give it a shot. 
Yeah, but no, but, that, but that, that is true. Yeah, I agree with that because, look, the United States, you know, I, I love the United States. Uh, we are a capitalist nation, no doubt. Uh, we, uh, we pride ourselves in being entrepreneurs and building and, and being leaders in industry and so on and so forth. And the opportunity is here that you can have someone that grows up in, in a really poor neighborhood with nothing that yeah. can go and be one of the richest people in in, 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 in the United States, in the world for that matter. Mm. You know, you, you look at someone, and again, I'm just gonna, I'm just saying this because it's the first, you know, name that comes to mind uh, that that all all our listeners uh, could um, could understand. But like Oprah Winfrey, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey came from nothing, and she became a mogul. And it was hard work, dedication. She went through a lot of things in her life, but look at her today. Well, exactly, and she inspires millions of people, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, she's inspirational. You know, she she uh, she she uh, she she connects with so many people. Like she'll go and she'll say something on her show, and believe in something, and a million people, or well, not a million, maybe five hundred thousand people will go buy this. Exactly. That that's power. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, enormous power. That's um. That, and I think she's done great things for writers as well with her book clubs. Oh, yeah. Just imagine if she, she, she read Border Street. Oh, my God. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't life be beautiful? Yeah, it'd be like, bup, 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 and it'd be, uh, you know, Suzanne Leal, multi-zillionaire, <laughs> sold 15 yeah, zillion books worldwide. <laughs> yeah, that sort of happened to um, Marcus Zusak. Who, who, who I know, who wrote the book called The Book Thief, and okay. he was uh, interviewed on American television, one of your morning hosts, I can't remember his name, male, and I swear it just became a sensation, yeah. and, and good luck to him, because it's a terrific book, but, um, but that's the power of the media, isn't it? Yeah, that is the power of the media. That, that that's why you know, like even with, with our show, you know, we find it an, an, an important thing to allow our guests to actually be themselves, you know, talk about the projects and what they have, but also to be able to connect with our listeners on, on a different level where, you know, you're human. We're not just it's talking true. about the book and the book, the book, the book. No, we were talking <laughs> about you. <laughs> I, I think that's right. I think people are interested in who someone is, sure. aren't they? I mean, I, I think a book doesn't stand on its own hmm. without the history behind it and the person behind it. Oh, of course. I think that's what gives it a life and gives it an interest. Yeah, I mean, even with, with uh, someone like Stephen King, you know, he writes fantastic, you know, books, and he, this is what he does, but, you know, people are fascinated with him as well. Yes, you know, his, exactly, his, exactly. His books turn into movies. You are, aren't you? Say again? I think you are. I mean, you always want to think, well, who is this person? I mean, what does he have for breakfast? Sure. Um, how does he get up? How does he sit down and write this stuff? Why did he do it? And you become fascinated <laughs> with the person. That's why, you know, uh, authors, I, I think that they're in an interesting uh, situation because they, you know, they're able to express, express themselves the way, you know, they are through their writings. But people when they start reading it and the readers start reading it and they say wow this is a great book and then at some point when, it, when the next book comes out they, they begin to wonder like wow well how is this person writing this okay and then no, I, I think that's right. yeah and it becomes interesting very interesting so and how much of that person is in it 
Yeah, and then they want to know how much of you yeah, is actually in there, and then they think, yeah, wow, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like with Stephen King, I guarantee you people will probably say, well, he, this guy is crazy. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. But what what a freedom. What a freedom, like Stephen King, King just mm -hmm. to let loose. Yeah, Whatever but, goes on in your head, you just get it out you know, and you publish it. Yeah, well, you look at Edgar Allan Poe. You know, exactly. Look, look at his writings. My, my God. You or know, or you, Roald Dahl. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Roald Dahl, who wrote you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and he wrote yeah. all these weird short stories, too, and you think, what's going on in your head? Yeah, no, <laughs> seriously, because you, you think about it, like, how are you how are you creating all this stuff? You know, I mean, I, so I, a lot of times I, I look at this and I read the book or I watch the movie, I'm like, you know something, I really don't even want to know how you're creating Where all this stuff. From. Yeah, because you're going to be in an insane asylum at some point in the near future. That's all. <laughs> But, you know, I don't know if you write as well, Lou, but, you know, when you start writing, sometimes it just surprises you where it goes. Yeah. It's no. just like a spinning top. But you start with something and you think, how did that get here? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do some writing and I, I do you know, write poetry and stuff, but it's just interesting how you, when you do, when you do put the pen to the paper or if you're on the computer and it just hits you and you start, and you start writing and writing and writing and writing and writing, then all of a sudden you're, 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 you're ten pages. 10 pages deep, and you're like, wow, it felt like a minute, but, you know, you just, all your thoughts are just flying out of you. That's extraordinary. And then, of course, there's the opposite. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, you, you sit there and <laughs> for hours. Like five and hours. Yeah, <laughs> and you sit there, minutes. the dog, the dog, <laughs> nothing else comes out. <laughs> but look, I, I think that's where, I mean, there's this combination of creative impulse and just plain discipline. Yeah. Some, one, one, one American author I spoke to said it's either, I can say this, but ask glue or glue ass. So you put your bottom on your seat and you stay there. And that's the trick of writing. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, that, that right there, I mean, then, then what are you, you going to go insane? Because you can't, how are you going to think? You know, that. Well, well, I don't know. I just think sometimes it's like piano practice. You might not feel like it, but you have to do it. So you sit down mm -hmm. and you force yourself at a particular time to do something. I mean, maybe poetry is a bit different, but mm -hmm. with prose, I think I've just got to take it like a job. So, mm -hmm. you know, get dressed, sit at the desk and, and do it for three hours. Yes. And if it works well, great. If it works badly, great. Mm -hmm. But you need the discipline to keep to the schedule. I think. Well, yeah, well, sometimes when you do that, you, know, you may get one paragraph out of three pages that really sparks the whole book for you, or, well, the, whole, or the whole chapter. You know, but, as, but when you're doing that, as long as you, you warn your significant other that this is what's happening, <laughs> because they will get an <laughs> argument later on, I promise you that, you know, <laughs> because there will be a high stress level when you can't get done what you want to get done. But then again, on the op, on the flip side, when you do get it done, then hey, they're happy. <laughs> that's true, that's true. But that's the problem with writing, isn't it? Because you can't guarantee the output. I suppose mm. it's like sort of, you know, working at, or being at home with the kids. You, you can't really quantify what's happened because you might work for 10 hours and like you say, get three sentences out of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so how can you quantify that? You can. That's why sometimes, you know, writers, you know, you, you hear the, the stories, they go somewhere deep in the forest in a log cabin to write, and they want yeah, them yeah. and the typewriter, and okay, you know, but now you can't do that because you need internet access. There's a lot of... That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Although sometimes it's good without it. I, I go down to the garage sometimes where I've got no internet access. 
because then you can't Google. Right. And then you can't, you know, check your emails. Right, you can't but, do... uh, but, you know, what I think the trick is with this whole writing, well, for me, with this whole writing thing is not, it's to be doing it part-time. Mm-hmm. So that, because it works well for me because I've got a job which pays the bills mm-hmm. and then I, and, and then I can write in the remainder of the time. So your ego is not completely contingent upon the writing. Right. So you've got your one life, which is your, your work life, and mm-hmm. then you've got your writing life. I think I would find it difficult if I was trying to write full-time. Right. You know, that, that, some people manage it. Well, you know, if, you, if you're writing full-time, then, then you're putting pressure. That's big-time pressure. Because mm. now that is your job. <laughs> exactly. And so everything about it, I think, uh, becomes really important to your ego. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't work for a couple of weeks, then that's your whole life that hasn't worked. Right. For a couple of weeks. Whereas if it's if it's got its own little place, which is what I'm trying to do, mm-hmm. it's got its place amongst other things. Mm-hmm. Well, I I, well, I believe that to be to be right, you know. But you know, again, it's just like with anything. If you're if you're a creative soul with anything, or even with business, if you enjoy what you do, truly enjoy what you do, even though you work hard at it. It doesn't feel like work because you're passionate about it. But with writing, you know, when you're writing and you're writing because you, you have to write an article and say you're writing for the paper, whatever you're doing, you're writing a book, you know, and you have to, you have a deadline. I mean, that's unbelievable pressure. That's true. That's true. Although, I mean, some people work really well to that pressure. Yeah, some people, you know, they, yeah, some people step up and they, they, they love it, you know, um, more power to them, you know. I, I mean, that that type of pressure. Yeah, I guess, I guess it depends on the individual. It really does. Yeah, I've got a, well, an American writer. I met at a writers' festival called Jason Starr, who writes crime noir work, mm-hmm. and he, I think, gets a book out every year, and it's his job, and I think he works at sort of nine to five. And he forces himself, well, I don't know if he needs to force himself, but as it happens, he gets a book out every year. And perhaps that works for someone of his energy. Yeah. I think it, I'd find it difficult. Yeah, but, um, but, but I suppose it's an energy level for people as well. And, and what drive you've got at what time. Yeah, I mean, it's an energy level, the drive, but it's, it's also, you know, where your mind is. Is your, is your mind true. set to, to go do this? If that's what you choose to do, then, hey, more power to you. You know, um, oh, exactly. but I, I think, you know, when you're writing something, you know, if, if you're truly writing something and you're getting it out, you know, your passion, your soul goes into what you're writing. So I think if you're on a timetable that you have to get it out tomorrow, you know, it, it's hard for you to finish getting your thoughts into it and saying, okay, I have a finished product. I'm satisfied with this. I think it's right. I think it would, I think you would have to let go of a sense of perfection if you're working to those timetables. Mm-hmm. And partly with my decisions, there's something in that. I mean, I make sure the decisions are accurate mm-hmm. and they say what I need to say, but you need to also manage them quickly. Right. So perhaps the expression isn't perfect all the time because I need to get a decision out because people are waiting for it because there's another case coming up. Right. Whereas at least with my writing, I get it out when it's right. Right. When you, when you feel it's 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 right, when you feel that you're comfortable with it, yeah, and you feel it's time for it to come out. That's right, and and, and that I suppose gives you a reprieve from something like the deadlines you're speaking about, whether I'm doing a magazine article or, or a right. decision. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so Suzanne, let me let me ask you something now. Border Street, um, is that where where can people get the book? But the best place, it's it's in Australia, New Zealand, um, and the best place really is to go to my website, which is www.suzanneleal, which is s u z a n e l e a l dot com, or just Google my name, and uh, there's a facility to to purchase the book there. And they can actually uh, buy it there, and it'll get shipped. That's to them. right, and and then it'll get shipped over. Okay, all right, great. I think, um, and and well, they they can't get they can't uh, get the book on Amazon or. Look, it's difficult with Amazon because Amazon's either UK or US, and the book's available at this stage in um, in Australia and New Zealand. I had oh. some interest in America, but um, but that hasn't progressed, so we'll um. Fingers crossed, but um, but look, if 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 it um if it, if I get a deal in America, then that's when Amazon comes on board. Right. But that's uh, yeah, it's a then, slight. Then if Amazon is listening, come on board. What is your problem? <laughs> Come on, Amazon. My God, but I I mean, you have a gazillion things on Kindle and all this other stuff. You know, this is we're, this is global. It's not just in the yeah, US. Yeah, look, I mean, with, with certainly, I mean, Amazon's um a great global resource that would help. Yeah. Could certainly be helpful. Yeah, but at this well, stage, um, Google me and um, and watch this space. Okay, well, I, I think that uh, our listeners, they should, and I do urge them to go uh, check out your site and uh, you know buy a copy of Border Street. I think uh, you know now. I mean, they've they've heard the broad strokes of it, and I I find it very interesting, very interesting. And I do, as I told you, I do see this as being a potential movie. Because every all, all the things are there, and, and hey, the screenwriters that are listening to this, because I know you are, they're listening to the show, <laughs> that this is something uh, to look at, Border Street, and uh, you know, so you can go to uh, SuzanneLeal.com. That's one Z. In case of people use two Zs, I don't know, people spell names differently. It's one Z, and uh, that's, that's SuzanneLeal.com. Check it out and find out more about this great author. Find out more about what's going on uh, with uh, Border Street, her highly acclaimed novel. I like it. So uh, that's that's something that they need to do. But uh, Suzanne, I'm going to say, you know, I, I enjoyed this this whole show. I enjoyed the whole show. You made it interesting. I had a wonderful time. Yeah, yeah, so did I. I mean, you your story going from law to what you're doing now with the tribunal and then your writing and it's like craziness but it's good so uh, <laughs> are you working on on your next book by any chance yes yes i'm working on my next book which has got a legal bent which is um which is about monstrous things uh -oh. so i, I did a you know, i did, did a case years ago and the, and the judge in the end said sometimes people what someone does is more important than who they are, and I wonder whether that's true. That's what I'm writing about this time. Okay, well, um, we're, we're going to look forward to that. And actually, we're, you know, I'm not going to ask you what time frame because who knows when you're going to come out with that? Whenever you're done, but I will. And when but, I'm done, I'll let you know. Yeah, you're done. Then you come back on the show, and we're going to talk about it. We'll talk about that book, and hopefully by that time, Border Street is all over the place, and then I can say, yeah, I know her. Yeah, that'll be. <laughs> yeah, I know her, but she doesn't remember me, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll always remember you, Lou. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. All right, Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on the UCW radio show. This has been enjoyable, without a doubt. And again, 
as I said, you know, when you come out with your next book, we want to get you back on the show to talk about it, or if things, as things progress with Border Street and you start getting the additional distribution, if you get some uh, filmmakers interested in it, uh, definitely, you know, you know, give, give us a call and we'll get you on for a quickie just to talk about it and let everyone know uh, what's going on with you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Suzanne. What is your name? Your major mouth function. All that will be written. All that will be done. Ladies and gentlemen, my mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you.